It is my honor to introduce our next preacher because he has been a friend for years. Uh, many of you remember the days that I used to be a part of uh, the, the director of Super Summer and my dad before me, and I've gotten to work with students for many, many years. And because of that, I was introduced to Shane and his wonderful heart for students. In fact, Shane Pruitt serves today as the national next generation uh, next-gen director for North American Mission Board. He has been in ministry for over 18 years as a denominational worker, church planter, a lead pastor, a student pastor. Shane is also a traveling communicator, evangelist, a podcaster, an author of several books, a Bible teacher. And I know you will be challenged this evening, inspired by his message. So please help me welcome Shane Pruitt. Amen. All right. How is everyone? Is everybody good? Awesome. Don't you appreciate the ministry of Dr. Leighton Flowers? Don't you appreciate his ministry and leadership to our great state? And so thankful for uh, Texas Baptist. Uh, you have a great state convention. Don't you appreciate the state convention and how they invest in you and your churches? Can we give the Lord a hand for them? So many friends. Um, and I see so many friends and really heroes of mine in the ministry uh, being able to see you out and worship Jesus with you um, tonight just out in the crowd there. And and uh, I want to say thank you for the invite, Dr. Flowers, and I want to say thank you uh, for letting me go before Dr. Tony Evans and not after Dr. Tony Evans. If you have your copy of God's Word, and I hope that you do, if you'll turn to Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1 is right before Acts chapter 2. Does that help anybody? <laughs> All right. Are you glad to be here tonight? Awesome. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, I'm so glad you got to sit by me. Why don't you tell them that? All right. Now turn to your other neighbor, because obviously they were your second choice, and say, I'm so glad you got to see me tonight. Why don't you tell them that? Tonight we're going to talk about now is the time. If you're in the message titles, the title of tonight's message is now is the time, reaching the next generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. How many of you agree our nation desperately needs revival? Desperately needs a movement of God. But our nation will never see revival until the churches in our nation see revival. And our churches will never see revival until the individuals who make up the church see revival. And Graham Lott said it this way, revival happens when we draw a circle around ourselves and make sure everything in that circle is right with God. See, revival always comes from God, but it comes through his people. And if you look throughout church history, uh, if we want to get more specific, Typically, revival takes place when a group of young people get passionately serious about Jesus and truly live out the calling of God on their life, and a spark happens that turns into an inferno. And so when we talk today about Generation Z, and I'll explain more about what that means in a moment, or the Alpha Generation, that means it's a lot of your children and your grandchildren and those that you're trying to reach in your communities and trying to reach in your universities and trying to reach in your schools. As we call them generations here, the alpha generation, that's what culture calls them. But the prayer request that our team has is that they would be known as the revival generation. And it's currently a prayer request, but I want to encourage you with this church, there's sparks of revival taking place in young people across this nation that I pray will turn into a bonfire. I want to encourage you with this. I've seen more young people get flat out saved, young adults, college students and teenagers in the last three years than the previous 15, 20 years of ministry combined. And here's why that is, is I say this, the pandemic 
did not create new problems. The pandemic poured gasoline on the problems we already had. So you have a whole generation that is coming to the end of themselves at an earlier age. That's why depression rates are up, anxiety rates are up, suicide rates are up amongst young people, because here's what they're realizing at an earlier age. The world is broken, and they're broken. So they're looking for hope. They're looking for answers. They're looking for truth. And as the church, we get to slide in with the message of Jesus Christ and say this, hope has a name. Truth has a name. The answer has a name. It's the name above every name. It's the name Jesus Christ. So we look at the next generation in a negative light, and tonight I pray that you would look at it as a possible harvest and in a positive light of what God's doing because there's a whole generation that God loves and wants to use the church to reach them. And listen, friends, God's plan A of reaching the next generation with his gospel is the church, and there's no backup plan. That's the plan. So I want you to see this in the book of Acts chapter 1. Is we're going to look at three things. I'm going to tell you from the beginning what they are tonight. We're going to look at, number one, now's the time for the gospel. Number two, now's the time to be the church. Number three, now's the time to go in light of reaching the next generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. As you're turning there, I also want to tell you about some free resources. I want to encourage you with this. Always consult with your state convention first. Go to your state convention first. But if we at the North American Mission Board can be a help to you, we have a bunch of free resources to equip churches to reach the next generation. If you'll just go to gensend.org, that's just G-E-N-S-E-N-D, gensend.org, or you can text gensend to 888-123-PUSH-SEND. You'll get a response back. You'll have access to all kind of free uh, video curriculum, coaching, uh, resources, all kind of free things that you're disposable to reach the next generation. All right, commercial is over. Let's look at the Word of God. All right, so look at Acts chapter 1, verse 3. If you're there, say, uh-huh. Look at this. The, Luke says this as he writes this about really the explosion of the church, and we find our roots here of the New Testament church right here in Acts 1. And he says this, after he, that's Jesus, had suffered on the cross, he also presented himself alive, underline that in your Bible, to them by, look at this, not by a few proofs or a couple of proofs, but by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a, por- a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Number one, would you write this down? Now is the time for the gospel, the beautiful gospel, that God created us, sin separated us, and listen, we're good at sinning, aren't we? There's something wrong with us. I'll even raise my hand. Anybody want to admit tonight that there's something wrong with you? Anybody want to admit that? You know what that is? That's a sin problem. How many of you are sitting next to someone? There's definitely something wrong with that person. (laughs) Sin problem. And here's the deal. We're all good at sinning. There's something wrong with us. Everybody knows there's something wrong with us. That's why you can go to Barnes & Noble. And you know what Barnes & Noble knows about us? There's something wrong with us. So that's why there's something called the self-help section. And now you got a whole generation who's been raised their whole life with a bunch of self-help nonsense. Believe in yourself. Follow your heart. There is no truth. There's just your truth. So my truth, your truth, their truth, their truth, everywhere a true truth. Please hear me. Physical solutions never solve spiritual problems. At the heart of every problem is a heart problem, and only Jesus can change the heart. Now's the time for the gospel. You know why self-help doesn't help? Because often the biggest problem with self is self, and if self is the problem, self can't be the solution. 
We need someone outside of self. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the hope of the world. And he says this, after he had suffered on the cross, see, we're good at sinning, but here's some good news. Jesus is better at saving. Jesus Savior than sinner. Can I get a witness up in here today? That 2,000 years ago, the Son of God, who has always existed, took a mission trip from heaven to earth and became a man to die as a man for mankind, but never stopped being God, fully God, fully man. He lived the perfect sin-free life that you and I could not live. Caused the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the handicapped to get up and walk. He walked on water, calmed the storm with his voice, fed over 5,000 people with two fish sandwiches. Subway has nothing on that, brother. Amen? And then he took our place on the cross. Friends, leaders, pastors, professors, no matter how long we've been following Jesus, no matter how many degrees we get behind our name, we do not mature past the gospel. We mature in the gospel. And he took our place on the cross. He was buried. And three days later, look at this, verse 3, by many convincing proofs, our Jesus busted out of the grave. Anybody happy about that? That the tomb is empty, but the throne of God is full of the risen King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. And because the tomb is empty, we can be full of the hope of Jesus. Because the tomb is empty, we can be full of the joy of Jesus. Because the tomb is empty, we can be full of the life of Jesus. Because Jesus lives, hope lives. Because Jesus lives, joy lives. Because Jesus lives, peace lives. And we get to tell the world that. I got good news for you. When it comes to reaching the next generation, I think a lot of times we want to be fancy and we want to be creative and we want to be innovative, and we want to think outside the box, and I'm for all of that. But I think sometimes we overthink it so much that we forget the basics. Here's the good news that I hope encourages you tonight. The same gospel that has worked for 2,000 years still works today. It's still the hope. Because a hopeless world needs hope. A joyless world needs joy. A world full of death needs life, and a world full of conflict needs peace. Once again, hope has a name, joy has a name, life has a name, peace has a name. It's the name above every name. It's the name who? Jesus. Now's the time for the gospel. And, you know, you got a whole generation that have experienced a lot of things at an earlier age. There's so many cultural agendas being put on them, so much confusion being put on them, so many beliefs being put on them. And so now you have a whole generation that are addicted to things and depressed about things and have experienced a lot of things at an early age. But here's what we know about the gospel, that no one is too lost for Jesus to find. No one is too dirty for Jesus to cleanse. No one is too broken for Jesus to fix. No one is too wounded for Jesus to heal. No one is too far gone for Jesus to reach. No one is too guilty for Jesus to forgive. And no one is too sinful for our Jesus to save. We just got to bring them the message of hope. Here's the good news. Listen, you have something for the young people in your community that Amazon can't deliver. The life-saving message of Jesus Christ. And it's what they need. It's what they need. And can I encourage you with this? You don't have to be young. You don't have to be cool. Can I encourage you with this? Young people are not looking for cool leaders. They're just looking for real and authentic ones. And I think a lot of times we think, oh, man, to reach young people, we got to get somebody that's a little bit older than them, and that dresses a certain way and has shoe game. And Can I just encourage you with this? 
if you have the gospel, you have what it takes to reach other people. People ask me all the time, so in my role at NAM, you go, what does next-gen director mean? It means I get to oversee all of our ministries, the young adults, college students, teenagers. I get to lead that team and equip people all over the nation to reach the next generation. I love it. I have the best job there is. I love it. But the number one question I get is, hey, Shane, what's the secret sauce to reaching Gen Z? Hey, what's the secret sauce to reaching the alpha generation? What's the secret sauce to reaching young people? All right, I'm going to give it to you. Are you ready? Here's the secret sauce. It ain't going to sell any books. It ain't going to blow your mind. But it's a great reminder. There is no secret sauce. But there is the Holy Spirit. Here's the good news. The Holy Spirit in you wants to reach young people even more than you do. The Holy Spirit in you loves young people even more than you do. So if you have the Holy Spirit and you have the Word of God, because I believe this, the Bible is always relevant. People say all the time, hey, Shane, what's the best book out there to help young people navigate all this sexuality talk? Hey, what's the best book out there to help with all this gender confusion? Uh, the New Testament's pretty good. But I mean, if you go back 2,000 years ago, all the things we see today that we think is new was prevalent in Rome. And here's the church springing up and exploding in the midst of all that. Trust the word of God. And then if you have the gospel, the same gospel that has worked for 2,000 years works today. So if you have the Holy Spirit and you have the Bible and you have the gospel, you have what it takes to reach the next generation. And I want to encourage you with this, our seasoned saints in the room, our classics, <laughs> praise God for you. Praise God for you. Listen, friends, please don't have that mindset because so many times we'll have that mindset, hey, I did my time. I'm going to turn it over. Titus chapter 2, may the older men take the younger men. May the older women take the younger women. And we can learn from each other because, listen, you have a generation that can help you with your iPhone. But you can help them change a flat because I promise you they don't know how. We need each other. It's what the church is all about, to learn from each other. And I love what my old pastor used to say, if you ain't dead, God's not done. We do not retire from this. We just graduate one day. And I'll encourage you with this. I didn't grow up in church. A lot of you have heard my testimony before. I always say the first 21 years of my life, I was building my testimony. You know what I mean? And the person who reached me with the gospel, I am, a guy, you know, typically a jeans and sneaker guy. God saved me out of a partying lifestyle in high school and college. My trinity was not Father, Son, Holy Spirit. My trinity were sports and chasing girls and partying. But the guy who reached me with the gospel was, his, was in his early 70s. And we couldn't have been more different. I was a jeans guy. I think he was born in his doctor's pleated pants. God saved me out of a partying lifestyle. Brother Ivan Carr had never tasted a sip of alcohol. Couldn't have been more different. Brother Ivan Carr was King James only and angry about it. You know what I mean? I remember one time I got a new King James. Bible so I could understand it. And he asked me if there was a new Jesus in it. <laughs> Couldn't have been more different. But you know what the common ground was? Is he loved me. 
and he tried, and he did not try to be somebody he wasn't. And it was the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, I want to encourage you with this. Don't try to become somebody you're not just to reach the next generation. Because here's what I promise you. If you try to act different to connect with them, they'll see right through it. Just be you. Be who God created you to be. And listen, youth pastors, if you're in the room, I want to encourage you with this. The greatest untapped resource in any local church for next-gen ministries are older people. Because they have a lot of wisdom. They have a lot of experience. And they love their grandkids, and most grandkids love their grandparents. You use them. And do not set them on the sidelines. You put them in the front lines. Thank you so much. In fact, Brother Ivan Carr is now with Jesus. And I got to preach his funeral. And I brought it with me. When I preached his funeral, his wife gave me the very Gideon New Testament that he walked me through the Romans road of salvation. And I have it. King James. (laughs) But he reached me with the gospel. Listen, friends, if you have the gospel, you have what it takes to reach young people. Stick to the gospel. Number two, real quick, now's the time to be the church. Jump down to verse 8. I love Acts 1-8. You've seen Acts 1-8 on the back of a missions t-shirt or on a coffee mug or on a computer desktop screensaver with like, a globe in the background. But I love it. Listen to this charge. The last message Jesus in heaven. Look at verse 8. It says, but you, turn to your neighbor and say, that means you. Let's make it personal. But you will receive power. Now, I want to be very careful about diving into the Greek because I know there's a lot of people in here a lot smarter than me. But we know that's the word dunamis or dynamo where we get the word dynamite from. Here's what I, the point I want to make is we don't serve some weak God off in the distance. We serve, it, we serve an all-powerful God that's up close and personal. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. There's a couple of points I want to make here about reaching the next generation real quick. First of all, if you have been bought by the blood of Jesus, that means you have the Holy Spirit of God inside of you. And we know this is known as the new covenant that will be filled in Acts 2. In the Old Testament, you got to see the Holy Spirit involved in anointing and position in certain times and seasons. Then when you get to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we know Jesus isn't just sent from God. Jesus is God. So the disciples got to be with God. They got to talk with God and walk with God and go fishing with God and have God cook them breakfast. That's amazing. But then he kept saying, that it's actually better for me to go because another is coming to comfort her. And they're like, how is it possible for him to go? Well, then there's this problem right here that will be fulfilled in Acts 2 that not only would God be around us, not only will we get to work with God, but we would get God to come live inside of us, and that changes everything. That when God comes to live inside of us, our soul, our spirit, that was spiritually now becomes spiritually alive. That God's inside of us, that the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't about making good people better. It's about making dead people alive. And then you get this great promise is that this all-powerful God is inside of you. The same power that ripped Jesus out of the grave comes to live inside of us. And so we look at the world today and go, man, there's such a demonic influence in the world today. There's such a demonic influence in politics. There's such a demonic influence on our campuses. Such a demonic influence at work and news and media. There's such a demonic influence at work social media and all those things may be true but you need to know this i think often as the church 
when we do things to embarrass ourselves, it's because we're reacting out of fear instead of walking in faith of who our God is and who we are because of our God. So we need to stand on the that this power of the Holy Spirit is inside of So according to 1 John, he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. And if he is for us, according to Romans 8, who can be against us? And we are not scared of hell. Hell is scared of us. And yes, there is an enemy at work in the world today. But here's some good doctrine. Remember that Jesus and Satan are not equals playing chess against one another. Jesus is king. Jesus, Jesus is Lord. And even one day Satan will bow at the feet of King Jesus before Jesus throws him into hell for all eternity. How many of you are ready for that day? I love what Revelation 20 talks about, and I love what Billy Graham said. Hey, I've read the end of the Bible. It works out okay for us. <laughs> so, friends, we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. We have victory. Team. So we walk in this, and then he says, And you, as the church, will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And you see this model, they're in Jerusalem as he's sharing this, and then you work your way out, and it's this model of be the church here, near, and far. I want to say, really, more practically, we need to teach our people to be the church everywhere they go, that the ground or the floor between their two feet at any point of the day, that's their mission field, that's their ministry. So even help the young people in your church realize that, listen, school is more than a place to make good grades. School is their ministry. It's their mission field. That their job is their ministry and they're thrilled. And adults, I want us to set the example. Listen, you may be here today and you may hate your job, love your mission field. That our family is our mission field where we are called to know Jesus and make Jesus known. That's our primary purpose as the church. Uh, real quick on family, how many of you agree sometimes family is the most difficult to share Jesus with? Family's got at least one weirdo in it, right? The weird uncle, the weird cousin. Right now, I want you to think of who the one weirdo is in your family. You can't think of anybody. It's you. You're the one. For my family, it's my Aunt Corey. She knows. My Aunt Corey, my whole life, true story, my whole life, she, every day she wears a turtle brooch on her back shoulder. She has hundreds of them. Every day wears a different one. And nobody knows why. And nobody will ask her. But she'll say things like this, no matter how slow I go, I'm always in front of my turtle. <laughs> Makes no sense. Our neighborhoods, mission field. The nation's mission field. God's plan A of accomplishing the Great Commission is the church, and there's no backup plan. That's the plan. It's what we're called to do. And we got to help our people realize that. A lot of times our people think it's only the job of the professional Christians to do that, which is the pastor and the staff. No, no, no. Our job as leaders is to do Ephesians 4.12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And who are the saints? Not just the football team in New Orleans. Not just people in old Renaissance paintings with halos around their head. If you've been bought by the blood of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit of God. You are a saint of God. God's called you to ministry. Therefore, our job as leaders is to equip the saints for the what? Work of ministry. To know Jesus, make Jesus known. For them to be the church. Now, let's talk about the next generation. That means this. You have a bunch of young saints in your church that you need to deploy. You may have some seventh grade boys in your church that according to the New Testament are saints of God. How many of you feel sometimes like those junior hires, they're more than saints? Anybody? 
according to the Bible, the to God. Encourage you with this. Here's what I mean by it. The young people in your church, if they've been bought by the blood of Jesus, have the Holy Spirit of God, we always call them the future of the church. To say, you're the future of the church. You're the future of the church. And I, and I know what I mean by that. Future leaders, pastors, influencers, sure. There's even a principle. If we don't reach our future, we have no future. But we need to shift that thinking a little bit. That according to the New Testament, if those young people have been bought by the blood of Jesus and have the Holy Spirit, they are not the future of the church. They are the church right now. That they have a calling of God on their life now. They're called to the Great Commission now. They're called to know Jesus and make Jesus known now. They're called to make disciples now. They are the church right now. And can I encourage you with this? They can handle it. They can handle it. Isn't it sad sometimes when you compare church curriculum that we teach our young people compared to the curriculum they're learning at school? How sad is that sometimes? Listen, friends, we don't need to dumb it down for them. We need to disciple them up. And they can handle it. Here's what I know about young people. Is they're really not scared to die young, but they are terrified of boredom. And if we make this boring, that's on us. Because the word of God is not boring. Living missionally is not boring. They are a cause-oriented generation, and the greatest cause there is is the great commission of Jesus. To cast that vision. Let, let me talk practically, and, and we're talking safely here as a family. Isn't it sad sometimes that culture understands the power of young people even more than the church does? Let me explain what I mean by that. 15-year-olds are already creating their own brands on social media. Did you realize, statistically speaking, there's more millionaire teenagers alive today than in any point of U.S. history? Primarily because of TikTok and YouTube. 16-year-olds, think about this, are already operating motor vehicles. We have six kids that are 16 and under. <laughs> That's a prayer request. <laughs> but our oldest just turned 16, got her driver's license. All last year, I was praying for Jesus to come back. <laughs> I was like, now's a good time, Lord. 17-year-olds are already in the workforce. 18-year-olds, wrap your mind around this, are in our military holding weapons, protecting our freedoms. My point is, is if they can do those things, they can be the church right now. We just need to empower them and disciple them and deploy them because here's what I believe. I really believe this. The most effective person at reaching a young person with the gospel of Jesus Christ is another young person that has a heart that beats with passion for Jesus and that same heart is broken over the spiritual lostness of their own generation. We need to equip the saints for the work of ministry, even if those saints are 13 sometimes or 20 sometimes. And they can handle it. Listen, friends, if they can handle algebra, they can handle some doctrine and theology. In fact, if they can order a drink at Starbucks, they can handle some doctrine and theology. You got to know Greek and Hebrew to do that. They can handle it. Let me give you some statistics real quick about Gen Z. Let's talk about Gen Z. Now, when I say Gen Z, if you look at 10 different definitions of Gen Z, you're going to get just that, 10 different definitions. 
But just for practical speaking, as of today, let's just think about those who have just graduated out of college, currently in college, and high schoolers and junior hires. So think of teenagers, college students, and young adults, Gen Zers. According to Business Insider, if we can see this on the screen, according to Business Insider, there's currently 72 million Gen Zers alive in the United States today. They are the largest living generation. Now, let me give you some sobering statistics because they are an endangered generation. According to Wall Street Journal, listen to this, less than 30% of Gen Z says religion is important to them. Now, not even just Christianity, but religion as a whole. If that be true, then statistically speaking, Generation Z is the least religious generation we've ever seen in the United States. According to Barner Research, wrap your mind around this, less than 20% of Gen Z says church is important to them. Now, let's think about that for a moment. Now, I know just going to church doesn't make you a Christian, just like going to McDonald's doesn't make you a Happy Meal. We understand that. But also, we can make some assumptions that if church is nowhere on their radar or they don't give a rip about church or they're not a part of a church, then chances are they don't have a saving relationship with Jesus or at best, they're very spiritually immature. So less than 20% of 72 million are followers of Jesus or and connected to the local church. So if you were to invert that, that means 80% of 72 million are the spiritually lost or not connected to the local church. If you're a mathematician, 80% of 72 million, if we go to this next slide, comes out to 57.6 million generation Zers in the United States today are either spiritually lost or not connected to the local church. If you want to think of the enormity of that, if they were to create their own state, they'd be the largest state in the United States for over 18 million people. California would be second. Now, I don't want to be melodramatic, but I could safely say that we could call Generation Z an unreached people group. And what do we do as a convention of churches when we identify an unreached people group? We start praying for them. We ask God to raise up missionaries, and we go after this people group. As the church, what we need to do is we need to start praying for a generation. Instead of criticizing a generation, let's start praying for a generation. Instead of ridiculing a generation, let's start discipling a generation. So we start praying for a generation. We start raising up missionaries and evangelists and disciple makers to go after a generation. And part of that is raising up, discipling, empowering, and mobilizing college students and young adults and teenagers and preteens to go after their own generation to share the gospel of Jesus with their own generation and help them realize they are the church right now. In fact, theologically speaking, the future of the church are spiritually lost people who have been yet to be reached with the gospel because the moment they get reached with the gospel, they become the church right now too. And we get to mobilize them to do that. And then we as leaders need to invest and go after a generation. Let me show you this next slide real quick. This will be our last statistic, I promise. Uh, not too long ago, uh, we kept hearing about the statistic, and it was the average age of Christians when they began to follow Jesus. And we could never track where this statistic came, but we could hear it all the time. I would kind of joke with our team, it's kind of like Sasquatch. People say he exists, but no one's been able to prove it, you know? So it's kind of like the statistic. So we decided to do it ourselves through my Twitter account. So we asked this question. If you're a follower of Jesus, at what age did you surrender to Jesus as Lord and Savior your life? And we gave four options, under 13, 13 to 18, 18 to 30, over 30. 
you'll see right in that bottom corner, right at 2,694 people took this survey. If you know anything about polling or stats, that's a pretty big polling segment, but I always love to do it visually so that we could see um, it ourselves. And so I'm going to show you what we came up with, but I want you to see it visually. So let's just add the top two together, and let's say 18 and under. So even in this room, um, if you um, became a follower of Jesus under the age of 18, would you just raise your hand and hold it up? Look around the room. See the importance of next-gen ministries? How many of you, if you leave your hand up, go ahead and leave your hand up. All right. How many of you, um, also, you got saved in your young adult or college years in your 20s? Would you raise your hand? That was me. All right. Leave your hands up. All right. Leave both of those. So if you were 30 and under, raise your hand. All right. Look around this room. Look around this room. This is what we found. Get this. Wrap your mind around this. 77% of all Christians surrender to Jesus as Lord and Savior of their life before the age of 18. 95% before the age of 30. Now, please hear me. I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe God can save whom he wants, when he wants. Do you agree with that? Like, not too long ago, um, just a couple of weeks ago, I was preaching at church on a Sunday morning. We gave an invitation. People responded. And an 86-year-old man placed his faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior's life. Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for that. But sometimes, if we're not careful, when we're thinking of evangelism typically will default to thinking of training adults how to share the gospel with other adults. And that's important, but that's also like fishing in 5% of the lake. See, if we want to see revival, if we want to see a harvest, if we want to see our baptism waters full, if we want to see our pews full, if we want to see the church mobilized, if we want to see the church grow, then we need to go hard after the next generation because that's where the harvest is. And so let me encourage you with this. If you have children's leaders on staff and youth leaders on, uh, at your church, and collegiate leaders, please be careful how you treat them and talk to them. Because sometimes if we're not careful, we'll make them feel like they're not more organizers of events or entertainers or glorified babysitters. No, no, no. According to these statistics, what we need them to be is evangelists, disciple makers, and missionaries to go after a generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So now is the time to be the church. And think about it, friends. We all are in this room today because for a very long time, men and women have been faithful to point the next generation to the mighty acts of God. Psalm 145.4 says this, one generation shall declare your works to the next and will proclaim your mighty acts. So think about this for a long time. One generation of men and women were faithful to point the next generation to the mighty acts of God. Then that generation rose up and pointed the generation after them to the mighty acts of God. Then that generation rose up and pointed the generation after them to the mighty acts of God. To generation, to generation, to generation, to generation. And then, friends, you get to us. And we are standing on the shoulders of faithful men and women from past generations who were faithful to point the next generation to the mighty acts of God. So, friends, I love this. As the kingdom of God and getting to be a part of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God was here before us. It will be here after us. Friends, we don't start anything. We don't end anything. It's just our turn to be faithful to point the next generation to the mighty acts of God. Now's the time to be the church. Number last. Number last. And in that, now's the time to go. Now's the time to go. 
Now's the time for the gospel. Now's the time to be the church. Now's the time to go. Look at verses 9 through 11. I love these verses um, because it's a charge, but it's also a little bit humorous if you think about it in context. Look at verse 9. It says, after he, Jesus, had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now, imagine you're there. Here's Jesus, and he just delivers this charge message that, hey, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you're going to be my witnesses here, near, and far, and you're going to know me and make me known, and that's going to be fulfilled in Acts 2, and you're going to go. And I imagine all the disciples are like, yeah, that's amazing. It's like this Jesus pep rally, right? And they're giving each other high fives. They're giving each other knuckles. They're giving each other elbow bumps. And then there's this ultimate mic drop moment where Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you're going to receive power, here, near, and far. And they're like, yeah. And then literally he just goes, gone. Ultimate mic drop moment. This ascension into heaven. Imagine you're one of the disciples. You're like, what just happened? He was here, and then he's there. He is here, gone. Peter, did you see that? Bartholomew, did you see that? Bubba, do you see? We, there should have been a Bubba. I'm just saying. Bubba, do you see that? And their mouths are gaping open. Flies are flying in and out. Well, how do we know that? Well, look at verse 10. While they were gazing into heaven, suddenly two men in white clothes stood beside them. These two angels. Listen to what the angels said. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So Jesus ascends into heaven. He sits down at the right hand of the Father as King of kings and Lord of lords. Why did Jesus sit down? Not because he was tired. Not because he needed a Starbucks break. Jesus sat down because three very important words he said on the cross. It is what? Finished. He made the way possible to be reconciled to God. He made the way possible to have eternal life. He made the way possible to have the power of the Holy Spirit. He made the way possible to be the church. But listen, friends, that's not the end of the story. Because one day, the trumpet's going to blast, and the angels are going to shout, and Jesus is coming back for his church. Do you believe that? People ask all the time, when is he coming back? Listen, friends, true story. I've gotten more questions about the second coming of Jesus from young people in the last three years than probably the previous 15 years of ministry combined. They'll be like, hey, Shane, think Jesus is about to come back? Think Jesus is about to come back? Hey, you see 2020? <laughs> 2021, 2022, 2033. What chapter of Revelation are we live in today? <laughs> Think Jesus is about to come back? Listen, I don't know. But one thing I do know, he is coming back. And today is a heck of a lot closer than yesterday was. Are you ready? I love what one evangelist said. He said, the angel Gabriel is going to toot and we're going to scoot. That's cool. I like it. <laughs> but who's the church? Is it a bunch of buildings? No, no, I want you to write that. The church is not buildings to be maintained. It's people to be mobilized. And he's coming back for his church, those who have the Holy Spirit. So, friends, as long as we have life and breath in our lungs, we have an opportunity to know Jesus and make Jesus known to the next generation. But the moment that breath stops, it's too late. But there's another factor that we don't talk about very much, the second coming of Jesus. That as long as the second coming tarries, we have an opportunity to know Jesus and make Jesus known. But the moment Jesus comes back, it's too late. So who do we need to tell? Who in your life do you need? Maybe it's your kids or your grandkids. Maybe it's the local school or the university. 
Maybe it's the kids that you see skateboarding around your building and they drive you crazy. But maybe we need to set that to the side and point them to Jesus. Maybe it's the kids that drive by your church late at night bumping music that you don't like. But maybe we need to start looking at them as though they're made in the image of God and God desperately loves them. Because as long as Jesus tarries, we have an opportunity to know him and to make him known. Because he is coming back. You know, I think often when we think about the second coming of Jesus, we all get a little weird about it. Because we've all seen those obscure YouTube videos. You know, I'm talking about usually where you see a guy on there with a 52-button suit. (laughs) And a comb over that starts here. He's like, brother, you take all the letter A's from the book of Daniel. All the letter B's from Matthew 24. All the letter C's from Revelations. Notice how they would always put an S at the end of Revelation. Revelation. And Jesus is coming back in two weeks. And everybody's like, ah! Did you realize in the Bible there's more prophecies about the second coming of Jesus than there are even his first coming? That it is a reality. But I believe this. Is there prophecies? Yes. Is there signs and times? Yes, that we're supposed to look at. But I think sometimes we're so busy staring at the sky that we're not looking at the hurt and lost around us. And so I think sometimes if we're not careful, we get weird about the second coming of Jesus. Listen, the second coming of Jesus is not some obscure Bible code for us to figure out. The second coming of Jesus is a reality that should be fuel for missions and evangelism. Because he is coming back, and his second coming looks very different than his first. In fact, I wrote some of them down from the Bible. Listen, the first time Jesus came, a few wise men bowed before him. But when Jesus comes again, every knee will bow before him. The first time Jesus came, a few people in the town called Bethlehem knew about it. When Jesus comes again, every tribe, tongue, and nation will know about it. The first time Jesus came, he came to pay for sin. When Jesus comes again, he's coming to do away with sin. The first time Jesus came, he came to make peace between God and mankind. When Jesus comes again, he's coming to make war against all of those that oppose God. Aren't you ready for the day that Satan and his demons are gone for all eternity? In that same vein, I wrote this down, I love this. The first time Jesus came, he came and got a beating. When Jesus comes again, he's coming to give a beating. The first time Jesus came, he came because he loves us. When Jesus comes again, he's coming because he loves us. Listen, friends, now's the time for the gospel. Now's the time to be the church. Now's the time to go after a generation knowing this. If we have the Holy Spirit, if we have the word of God, and we have the gospel, we have what it takes to reach the next generation and to accomplish Psalm 145.4, to make known to the next generation the mighty acts of our one true God. And as the church, listen, friends, If we've been bought by the blood of Jesus and we have the Holy Spirit of God, we are the church of the Most High God. And as the church of the Most High God, we can't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. As the church of the Most High God, our past is redeemed, our present is on mission, and our future is secure. As the church of the Most High God, our face is set, our feet move fast, our goal is heaven, our road is narrow, our way is rough, our companions are few, but our God named Jesus is reliable, and our mission to know him and to make him known is clear. As the church, we cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. As the church of the Most High God, 
We are the church, and it's time to stand up, wake up, pray up, preach up, lift up, and never give up, back up, or shut up until our Jesus calls. Now be the church. Yeah.